People always want to know what it's like to be me. How does it feel to see a dead body? Tell a family their loved one has been murdered. Talk to a rape victim. Catch a killer. And get them to confess. Hold on tight, my friends. Get ready for the journey. And welcome to Murder with Menina. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Murder with Menina. How is it going, Colleen? Great. I just got back from New York and I followed your advice because I was on the subway and these two hoodlum kids got on and they were fully masked. We're not talking about COVID masks. No. Masks, only just the eyes. So, and they had a boom box and they had it at the loudest volume and they were, it was violent rap music, violent rap lyrics. And they were just, they're shifting their eyes. And I immediately thought, and I could see it made everyone uneasy, but I immediately thought of your words. When something doesn't feel right, it's not right. 100% oh, wow. of the time, don't need any more evidence than this. It just doesn't feel right. And my first thought was, why do they not want to be recognized? Right. There could be a reason. And I don't want to stick around and find out. So I got off the subway. As soon as it stopped, I got right off and I waited 10 minutes for the next subway train. And I thought of you the whole time. Your your yeah. words were echoing in my mind. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. Followed your oh, advice. Good. Yeah, good. Okay, so the moral of the story is one person listens to my advice. <laughs> At least I know one person. All right, so we're going to talk. Um, this is an interesting, interesting kind of case. And then this task force that I didn't even know existed, and they helped solve a, a case in Indiana over, uh, f- over 40 years ago. But it's a trans-led task force. So crazy. I had not heard anything about this. Ooh, for- 40 years ago. Interesting. Yes. So here... We go. We're going to talk about this. Okay. So by the time the police had found a young man's body, he was rotting on on a neglected plot of farmland off a Rensselaer Highway in 1983. And it it appeared that he had been dead more than a year. And this is country land we're talking. Um, The the man had been found by a hunter laying down traps for foxes. Um, Authorities thought at first the skull might belong to a monkey. And then closer um, examinations found a bundle of skull, teeth, jawbones, jawbones, femur, tennis shoe, and bits of reddish hair recovered from the scene proved to be the remains of a man they thought was between 18 and 26 years old. Um, and the police at that time believed he was uh, a victim of homicide. So it's so funny because I had been, I've been on a lot of calls where people are digging in their backyard or whatever, and they find bones. You know, they're just digging, whatever, and they find some bones. And you get there, and most of the time, it's animal bones, but, like, always call. So if you're ever digging and you find bones, always call because they can kind of look the same. Like, I, I remember being on the street, and I got a call, and and uh, these bones look like, oh, my God, that had to belong to, you know, a person. And then we get the, the right authorities out there, and they're like, no, it's a dog. And I'm like, okay. Even when you see skulls, right, like, it just – it was crazy. So always call moral of that little comment, but yeah, sure. Especially, 
especially with the advancements in DNA and how they can investigate through genealogy. That's why it's more important than ever now. Absolutely. So unfortunately, the remains would stay locked and not necessarily examined anymore um, in the Jasper County Coroner's Office. And it was in there for over two decades. Okay. Uh, but a gentleman by the name of uh, Andy Borsma took over the coroner's position in 2000, and he had inherited the case of a young man whose identity had haunted three coroners before him. Um, the case remained unsolved, but he was unsatisfied. I like this guy. He was just not taking no for an answer. Um, he was quoted as saying, I just wasn't about to leave this kid laying in a box in the evidence room without trying to put forth some effort to locate his family and return his remains. Somebody out there is looking for their son and somebody has to take the initiative. I love that, right? So he reopened the case and for the next 20 years, he would pour through evidence about any chance that he got. Okay, he was doing his job as a coroner, but he was still working on this. Um, A thick binder containing case information was hauled into his truck on fishing trips. His spare time was spent going through NamUs, which is the National Resource Center for Missing and Unclaimed Persons Records, hoping to find a match. He said, he's quoted as saying, everything sat at a standstill. Other than what identifying markers we had, which was crooked teeth and the jaw, a silver crown or cap, that stuff was entered into the database that the state police and the FBI had, but none of the family had entered anything like that in his missing persons report. Um, without the resources or a full investigative unit, which is so common, um, <clears throat> giving the young John Doe his identity back was work. Borsman and his wife mostly took on a loan. So he, he got his wife to help him. Interesting. And his wife. I like right? that. Yeah. Um, somewhere he felt a family who did not know was mourning the loss of this young man. He wanted to piece it together and pester any law enforcement agency that could make an identification. So this was like in 1983 and then like in 2000 where, you know, the coroners, you don't hear of the coroners doing that a lot anymore about investigating cases. They'll come out. um, They'll kind of tell you that, you know, initially what the cause of death is and, and take the body. All right. So somewhere he felt that the family needed closure. Some of the state police officers and some of the county sheriff deputies know that I'm a pain in the ass and I don't let sleeping dogs lie. Um, I got the kick. I got to kick the can every now and then. I love that. It's such an old term in homicide. Kick the can. You've heard that before, right? Right, right, right. It means progress. Yeah. I use the snowball of effect, right? You start a snowball and you keep rolling. It gets bigger. But yeah, kick the can. Okay. So an intern who worked at a trans-led forensic genealogy nonprofit based in Massachusetts called the Trans Doe task force. They specialize in finding and researching cases of the LGBTQ plus missing and murder people to make positive identifications and were interested in assisting with the Jasper County John Doe case. Um, it had been work that they had been doing for years as part of the DNA Doe project before branching off to create a unit dedicated to identifying missing people in the LGBTQ community with a specific victim, victim, or I'm sorry, specific focus on victims who may have been trans. Never even heard about this, and it's so crazy because we're talking like a long time ago, right? It's it's not greatly accepted. Exactly, that's the most yeah. impressive part of it to me, right? 
If somebody so, cared that long ago yes. to make a special unit for it. So they said while we're working with them doing genealogy, we asked each other, could we find trans cases? Could we be able to go out in our community through this work that we're already doing? And we thought maybe we could find a couple cases. And now we found about 175. Um, Anthony Redgrave is the forensic genealogist who helped found the nonprofit, and it's only been going on since 2018. Um, the team leverages the science of genealogy to solve decade-old cases using family genetics to piece together mysteries. Here we it's go again thing. with that genealogy. Yep. Love yep. it. It's the same technologies that was used to identify the Golden State Killer and locally what Indiana detectives used to identify the so-called I-65 killer as Harry Edwards Greenwell. Right in Ohio, uh, right? Was that the well Ohio in Indiana and Ohio? Absolutely. Killer? Oh, okay. Yep. And he was killing uh, girls at truck stops, prostitutes yeah. at truck stops. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So instead of having the information from an adoptee of their birth date and roughly where they were born, what we have instead is information from anthropologists that gives us post mortem interval and age estimate, which gives us a broad range of how old the person might be. I love that. They're using so many people. Ugh. So they assist law enforcement departments, medical examiners, and forensic anthropologists with getting their cases worked on by forensic genetic uh, geolog geologists. Okay. So they say they can't really overstate the importance of the grassroots work that they do. They are like a complete workhorse, and they actually get things done. Um, a biological anthropologist out of New Hampshire who assist the task force. That's what she said about them. Their team also established a LAMP, L-A-A-M-P database, a free service which allows people to submit case information about missing people who may have been LGBTQ or whose case requires, requires LGBTQ informed care and consideration. That's fantastic. From the right. start, this case, the Jasper County John Doe, was a speck on the map, although they couldn't know for sure whether the young man belonged to the LGBTQ community, there was one brutal fact about the case that motivated the Trans Doe Task Force to take it on. While the Jasper County John Doe's identity remained a mystery, his killer was well known. Here we go. The many crimes of Larry Eiler. Between 82 and 84, Larry Eiler terrorized the large swaths of the Midwest. He was dubbed as the highway killer. He'd pick up transient people or people who were hitchhiking. He would drug them and offer to do other things, and then he would murder them. In 1994, Eiler was dying in prison ahead of a scheduled execution for the death of a 15-year-old boy. He made a deathbed confession to the lawyer, uh, revealing a list of at least 20 men he had killed over the years. And I think it's so interesting because that happens, that seems to happen a lot. And then you have some serial killers that even on their deathbed, they're not telling you or even right before execution. It's so crazy. Um, so most of these victims were part of the LGBT community. It was a horrific tendency of preying on gay men almost exclusively. That was enough to motivate the trans Doe task force to help solve the Jasper County John Doe case. Uh, they said they had been aware, aware of Larry Eiler and his unidentified victims for a long time, and we'd been wondering why haven't these been worked on. That's the great thing about it. I love it when people start to ask questions. They find out there's not a lot of answers, and they just start doing it, right? They just form their own task force, and they just freaking start 
doing it. So Eiler did admit to picking up young men in 1982 along US 41 near Vincennes in southwestern Indiana. He admitted to killing him, then dumping his body about 70 uh, miles south of Chicago. Whether Eiler actually knew the Jasper County John Doe's identity or not still remains a mystery. He was going to take that one to his grave. Um, If the young man had indeed been a member of the LGBTQ community in life, he would have been murdered during a time when queer people were not always accepted by the broader community or even in their own families. Still dealing with that issue today, as we know. Um, an editor in chief at the World Magazine, one of Indy's only LGBTQ magazine in the early 80s. It was at the time when multiple young men from the queer community went missing and then turned up murder. There was that was sometimes at the hands of Larry Eiler, whose total victim count in Indiana remains uncertain. Um, people preyed on the fact that a lot of these people had nobody at home looking to see where they were. If they were if they disappeared, it would be weeks and weeks or longer before anybody would say they were missing. And we talk about that a lot with runaways, right, or prostitutes. And now, of course, we're hitting this um, this part of the community, which, man, talk about, like, right, if there are – and this is the 80s, ah, right? Right, wow, right. It's just – yeah, it's just so – the Transdo Task Force knows when they take on cases of homicide victims in this community, they may be the only ones looking for them. Um, with regular John or Joe – regular John or Jane Doe case, you can say to yourself, oh, this person might have family who's looking for them. With LGBTQ cases, you don't have that guarantee because sometimes people specifically have left because their family didn't support them. And other people are going to be looking for them, the people who have no rights. Okay. So the same year they took up the Jasper County uh, John Doe case, the Human Rights Campaign Group revealed that there had been a record 57 known murders of transgender people, the most since 2013. Um, despite the continued prevalence of violence against trans and queer people in the U.S., the task force remains one of the only agencies that can apply a queer lens to cases that need them. You, it's so crazy. I've never heard of this. Have you ever heard of this? No, I have not. And so I'm so happy to hear of it. Uh, As members of the community, we're pretty much constantly aware of the fact that we're not that far removed from being in that position. We could, at any turn in our life, have ended up in the same place because that's what the world has done to us. Task Force members take great care to ensure mistakes made by other law enforcement or investigative agencies Dead naming or misgendering victims that can cause further harm to that person does not happen. And right, how timely is that when we're in this world now where um, genders become a big issue and, um, you know, sex changes and all these things that are happening? How crazy will that be if you go missing? Because you could have been missing and identified as a woman. Oh, my gosh. Right. Right. I mean, it's just mind boggling. But wouldn't they know from the bone structure if a surgery had happened or not? Well, you would hope. Yeah, you would hope so. But it would still. But you have to have people that are willing to do it. Right. And willing to look at it. And, and you know, and the thing with these task forces is that, like, they're they're doing the work. Um, of people that aren't even asking for the work to be done. Right. Like you always say, if there's not family advocating for an investigation, it so often just becomes a cold case on the shelf. Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's just horrible. Okay. So as the experts 
have lived in these bodies and having to deal with this kind of level of violence and bias towards our people need to be the one spearheading these initiatives. No one knows this content like we do, no matter how well-meaning they are or experienced they are in related fields. They would take the same care with the case of the young man fanned in Rensselaer, right? So it's like, again, it comes back down to race and sex and how motivated the detectives are and if there's family that's, um, you know, putting pressure on the detective and the department to do something. So here we are in January 2021, this coroner accepted the task force help in identification of the Jasper County John Doe. While awaiting DNA data, Anthony Redgrave was provided photos of the victim's skeletal remains to produce a second piece of forensic art that could help lead to his identification. From January to September in 2021, the victim's DNA was processed and uploaded to GED Match, a free DNA site built for genetic genealogy research. So that's free. That's fantastic. In just six days, the team of forensic genetic genealogists and student interns found a potential candidate. Under the direction of this coroner and his wife, team member Katie Thomas was granted permission to make contact with the candidate's family in order to obtain DNA sample and gather further information. God, the work ethic and motivation. Kudos to you guys. Um, we were involved in more an, a, in a more unusual way in finishing out a case we aren't usually there. So that was very emotional experience for the team. The DNA sample collected from a full sibling of the candidate was compared to that of Jasper County John Doe. It confirmed the two were siblings. And how great was that the task force was right there when this um, when it happened. His name was William Lewis. So Jasper County finally was able to call John Doe William Lewis. Um, a few days before Thanksgiving, Andy, Andy Borsma, the coroner, and the Trans Doe Task Force announced publicly that after so many years, a young man found nearly 40 years ago had been identified. His name again was William Bill Lewis. In life, he was a quiet person who played football in high school he was last seen by relatives in Houston, Texas in February of 1982. The 19-year-old attended a friend's funeral in Indiana and never made it back home. He would be 58 years old if he still were alive today. Wow, that's so crazy. Um, for the coroner crew members of the, of the task force who worked to make the identification, the announcement was not at a time for celebration or to applaud themselves three years of hard work coming to an end. When cases are closed, a somber reality is reiterated. There are families like Lewis who prayed he would one day come home, but now they know for sure that he won't. However, his parents didn't live long enough to learn what happened to their son. Um, here's a little bit of history on the family. He was loved um, a great deal. His parents looked for him until they passed, and then his siblings had picked up from where the parents left off, they said. As far as I could tell, Lewis was not a part of the LGBTQ community. He was a young man caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, whose life ended on the side of the road by hands police had tried to track before. For the Transdo Task Force, though, it does not matter if a missing or murdered person was actually a part of that community or not. 
as cases continue pouring in from across the country and their work expands to countries like Canada, Argentina, Finland, and Liv- or Libya, they refuse to let these victims who may have been forgotten in life remain so in death. There's this concept of chosen family who is taking care of these cases. If they won't look for you, um, Lee said, I definitely feel like we adopt people until we can until we can find out where they go. They're beautifully Is that crazy? My God, we're in this world now. It's like I don't know of any other task force that just you know specializes in this community. But man, do we need it, right? Because as we know, and in, in June being Pride Month and all of that is you know, more and more people are coming out and, and, and hopefully their families are okay with it. But if they're not, a lot of times they run away and then that's the horrible cycle. Then they get into, you know, anything, drugs, or they get into slavery, whatever, whatever it is, but just that whole um, idea of having to leave your home and leave the people who you think love you. Um, and then, you know, can end up being murdered or hooked on drugs or whatever. So Kudos to this task force, man. That's exactly. Wow. So heartwarming and uplifting to know that there's people out there who've cared for so long. Shout out to um, the Trans Doe Task Force um, that was established in 2018. And I love their um, I love their quotes and their talk about, look, you know, you don't have any idea what it's like to be trans or to be gay or anything like that. So they, they have people that live that lifestyle helping to solve these murders. How fantastic is that? You know, and like they said, they're getting more and more cases. You know, you have people who like start these organizations and those are the people that have an unbelievable amount of passion. And, you know, they may have no law enforcement experience, but passion and just the will to dig and um, and then they're living in th- that lifestyle as well. Like, I just hope that law enforcement will just learn to play a little bit well with others because we just don't. And I think it's ego driven. And I think it's, oh, my God, if I give it over to the task force, they might solve it. And what does that look like? And what it looks like is that you're open to keep the main prize at the center stage, which is to solve the case. Who the hell cares who solves it? You know, like, who cares? Let's just get it solved. And gosh, I wish that mentality of thinking, because, you know, if you can pair law enforcement with community groups that live in that community, right, live in the community or live that type of lifestyle and you can combine those two, you really I just think that the amount of cold cases that we have in any lifestyle is so astounding in this country. But, man, if we could just get a better partnership where we work together, right, like that's just the key. It's just the key. Um, we can get these solved. And um, so kudos again to this to this task force. So with an Indiana, you know, connection, just I had to get it out. So it's June Pride Month. So, um, you know, kudos to everyone that's been a part of that. Again, you guys, thanks. I'm getting more and more email messages about cases that want to be talked about. And I really do appreciate that. Really positive comments. Again, like always, we always ask that you share and review and, and just get the word out about us because we're trying to get these cases out there. And there's so many good people doing so much good work. Make a difference. We can make a difference. Let's make a difference, everyone. And thanks again for listening. And we will see you next time on Murder with Manina.
If you have a cold case you'd like Chris to review, submit it through our website at murderwithmenina.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Murder with Menina and Twitter at Murder W. Menina. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Murder with Menina.